Welcome to Active Endeavors Podcast, a place where extraordinary people have the voice to explore and express their creative and active pursuits on top of the rigors of their daily life. I am Linus. And I am Michelle. Good day, everybody. On today's Active Endeavors Podcast, we have uh, a good friend of mine and who I call is like my personal hero. This guy is a man I want to be if I grow up someday. So I met John. in New Zealand a few years ago and what seemed to be like ages ago, right? And John right. has- 2016. A 17, 17. Is it 17? Yep, 17. Right. Yeah, so John is a, a dad of two, husband. John was a Marine, a fighter pilot, so I should call him Maverick at some point in time too, or Goose, or Iceman, an Iron Man. <laughs> We're going to be talking a bit about that and also Western States 100 finisher, which I'm pretty curious of how he got into that. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks for having us, man. Hi, Michelle. Nice to meet you. Man, Virtually, as it is. I've never been so excited to see, like, you know, different background. Very looks, It looks very European, even at that corner by your left shoulder. <laughs> well, it's kind of cutting Nice. Off. <laughs> it's uh you know it's it's hard to hard to differentiate i'll show you show you right i'm on my my back balcony right now we actually have a pretty cool view we have uh we live in an apartment but oh, it's okay. uh like the penthouse of this penthouse to this building oh. and uh it's uh u.s government owned so it's embassy housing um and the way this works is you kind of tell them what your preference is in terms of where you want to live and they know how big your family is and what your rank is and your seniority and uh they assign you and you really just kind of get lucky it's totally luck of the draw and we have two we have a, we're in a three-unit building with uh, uh two other two other families uh and they're side by side on the bottom and then we're like sort of the, the frosting on the wedding cake on the top so um it's this two-floor apartment uh, but it's kind of like a house because it has uh four walls uh, or uh, basically windows on all four on all four sides and two floors. So it's, uh, it's a pretty cool spot. And uh, Belgrade, uh, Belgrade's been a really, really fun place to live. Um, we, uh, you know, anytime you move somewhere, you, you have expectations and uh, in the foreign service, more so I think than uh, just living in the United States, your, your expectations tend to be wrong. So uh, we, we've been really pleasantly surprised living here. So um, I think our family, uh, <clears throat> our families, uh, when, they, when they learned and we told them that we were going to Serbia, I think about half of them thought that uh, we were moving to Syria and the other half, Siberia. Wait, wait. wait. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, I don't believe it's been it's been so long. Uh, I think the last time we saw each other in person was um, in Chicago, probably the summer of 2018. Uh, no, 17. Maybe 2017. 17 yeah, before Kona. 17. Before Kona. Yeah, it was 17, 17 before Kona. That's right. Yeah, because I was coming off my injury and uh yeah we met up met up briefly there in chicago it's been it's been too long uh and then uh and then in kona seeing you there at the finish line and then uh completely <laughs> randomly on the uh almost to the summit of mount, mount okea um it's been uh it's wow. been a journey man but it's great to catch up and thanks again for having me oh absolutely man so yeah we're just gonna start off like give us a little other than my little brief brief intro of my hero if i want to you know, who i want to be if i want want to grow up soon give us a little bit more about john 
Oh, sure. Th- thanks, Linus. Yeah, so uh, for, for what it's worth, I don't really feel like a grown-up yet either, but uh, you might say that uh, <laughs> that's because I'm, I'm doing it right on, on some level. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm 41 years old now, just uh, just barely, and uh, still waiting to feel like a grown-up. But uh, in any case, I'll start, start from the beginning. I'm from uh, Half Bay, California, a small town, uh, about uh, half an hour's drive south of San Francisco, right on the coast. Pretty nice um, grew up Grew up there. Um, I uh, I went to uh, UC Davis uh, for undergraduate. Um, in between high school and college, I was on the U.S. cycling team. I uh, I got into cycling at a really young age, and um, that was sort of my my introduction to, to endurance sports. Um, so uh, cycling is uh, probably something we'll talk about talk about today. But uh, to uh, went to UC Davis and then immediately out of Davis um, joined the Marine Corps as an officer and uh, ended up flying F-18s. Uh, as a carrier guy uh, out of uh, Miramar, San Diego, uh, and then um, did that for about eight years before moving to the East Coast, Washington, D.C., finishing up my active duty time, uh, then transitioning to the Foreign Service State Department, and that has brought uh, uh, my family and I to uh, Russia, uh, Peru, and now uh, Belgrade, Serbia, for uh, for our third tour in the Foreign Service, and um, there's been... Uh, uh, quite a uh, quite a bit of endurance sport along the way uh, through through each of those careers, and uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, two little boys and uh, my wife, fifteen years, Mara, uh, all all along the way. Mara and I met uh, UC Davis, so while I was still a civilian before before I joined the Marine Corps, uh, so she's been along for uh, long for the uh, entire ride. Though the one thing that she'll point out is that um, when she met me was part probably the one or the, this brief interlude of one or two years where i wasn't seriously into endurance sports so we met kind of right in between my uh my cycling career uh for what it's worth uh, you can't really be a retired 20 year old from anything but uh my cycling career uh from my perspective as a 20 year old at that time was definitely behind me uh, and my ultra running uh, uh sort of saga was was still ahead of me uh, so uh, quite exactly what she was getting into uh, with me with respect to endurance sports, but um, <laughs> I'd say uh, I'd say we've sort of both grown together, and she's uh, she's she's adapted in a way. But um, I'm here now uh, in Belgrade, Serbia. We've lived here for for two years, and uh, we've got another another two years to go. Uh, obviously, like uh, everyone else uh, in the world, our last six months here were uh, not um, really anything that that anyone's uh, anyone's expected. And nobody really knows what's uh, what's to come. But um, uh, all told, it's uh, it's been it's been challenging, but uh, in some ways, um, you know, a rewarding time that that I think will be uh, memorable for for all of us, and uh, not just the negative ways. So uh, that's that's me in a nutshell. Um, uh, I. Uh, I've had uh, a few uh, a few different sort of all-in endeavors, I, I guess you could say, from uh, from uh, cycling and taking uh, taking things uh, sort of their logical conclusion uh, as a uh, near professional athlete, as a 17, 18 year old, uh, and then uh, being a fighter pilot, and uh, now uh, um, now being a professional diplomat about 10 years into this career. So uh, that's uh, that's my my autobiography in uh, in a nutshell, and. Uh, here I am on a beautiful Friday afternoon on my balcony in, in Belgrade. Man, that, that's like that, that was like a that was a steep curve right there, man. I swear to God, it's like skating Everest right up. You haven't mentioned the part that you're like fluent in what twenty languages or something. 
Uh, well, four. I like four officially four, including including English. Uh, Russian. My Russian suffers quite a bit. My Spanish is still good, and uh, and my Serbian. I'm um, a Serbian solid, but uh, Serbian and Russian are close enough to each other that uh, one sort of detracts from the other. But, uh, you're slacking. Uh, I, I can still count it with one hand. We got to get through the one hand. We got to get to the other hand. No, no. Honestly, I have friends and. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I have I have colleagues who uh, I mean this this profession draws people who are naturally you know, polyglots and people can switch from one to the next to the next and it's really really impressive. I am not that kind of person. I'm very much like I can speak English and one other language really well at any given time, and um, that's been a real gift in this career because I didn't get into uh, in, into diplomacy and the foreign service or really. Um, um, a second language until I was 32, 33 years old, and I never thought I'd have a second language. Yeah. But um, it's uh, it's sort of a gift and a, and a real benefit of this of this career. But uh, I can, again, I can do one uh, English and one other at any given time. But I have friends who just switch from Russian to Polish to Ukrainian to Serbian, and it's really <laughs> it's really amazing, especially with those languages that are really uh, really very close together. Um, it's uh, it's a, a it's a special tool. Man, I'm almost speechless now. Actually, I don't want to ask anything now. But yeah, take us back to your like early cycling days. How did you get into cycling? And you mentioned you were into the, you were in the national cycling team at some point, and that was before obviously you became a marine. So what what transpired between those time periods? Because normally they'd pick up cyclists like very young too for the development team to become right. pros. So what was that transition like? Yeah, what was the stage so, like? Uh, yeah, so I'll give it to you. Uh, I'll give you to a sort of uh, uh, long story, moderately short. Um, so uh, where, I, where I grew up, I imagine like lots of small towns in, in the United States, um, kids just at that time at least got around on bikes. Imagine like, you know, BMX bikes, mountain bikes, uh, no helmets or anything. It was just our mode of transport and, uh, and kids being kids being competitive uh whenever uh you know whenever we'd race i just uh, naturally went uh, i just had this ability to to go really fast on a bike and uh that was sort of really confidence building for me as like a 9 10 11 year old and uh we were always hanging out at the bike shop it was sort of one of this one of these sort of established small town small town businesses and uh, a couple of the guys there were uh long-term uh long-time long-time roadies and I kind of looked up to them as uh, as racers, and um, I got this idea in my head that uh, I wanted to be wanted to be a road racer. I wanted to be a roadie. Uh, part of that was because every time I tried to mountain bike seriously, I'd crash. Oh. And that's not an exaggeration. Like every single oh. time, I just I trying to keep up my trying to keep my friends. No, nothing serious, but trying to keep my friends uh, on 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 downhills on uh, on these um, uh, you know hardtail mountain bikes back in the back in the nineties. I just did not have the technical skills, but anytime I went uphill uh, or, or flat, and I was I was sort of on my game. So um, I um, convinced my parents to uh, to go 50-50 with me on uh, on my my first bike, this uh, old aluminum down tube shifter uh, 105 Cannondale. When I was about 13 years old, uh, spent the summer working for my cousin, uh, landscaping in Miami, and and took the small amount of money I, I earned there to to buy that bike and. Uh, went out almost immediately uh, after training for about, about a month, and and went into this uh, Cat Four Five uh, Cat Four Criterium as a uh, 13 or 14 year old. Um, my very first race uh, ever. I uh, just jumped in with the field, and with a lap to go, I just went and uh, and I won the race. Uh, I have no wow. idea how. I'm looking back. I mean, they, part part of it part of it was 
it was just one of these Thursday night criteriums. So they have these in the U.S. all over. They have these office park criterium uh, for people to practice their their racing skills. But I was this, you know, uh, kid who knew absolutely nothing. I'd never ridden in a bunch before, uh, and uh, I just I just went out and uh, and I I went off and and I won the race by maybe maybe 50 meters or something just by kind of taking these guys unaware. Part of it was that they they weren't watching me because I was just this junior who was you know pack fill. Um, but uh, part of it was that I actually did have some natural talent, natural talent of the sport. So um, from that day on, I had this uh, this this club, this team in uh, in California, uh, kind of take me under their wing and, and develop me. And, and uh, they really uh, were able to help me out with uh, getting better equipment. And they taught me how to train, uh, lots of lots of group rides, and uh, you know, kind of one thing led to another, and uh, I wound up going to. Um, uh, national championships and on the podium for time trial as a 15 16 year old uh, versus a 15 year old and then again as a 16 year old and a 17 year old uh, i was always very close uh, to uh, to getting the jersey to, to winning junior nationals in the time trial um but um uh my buddies who i'm still really close friends with were always just that much faster than i was <laughs> Uh, which is, you know, at the top of the sport, that's just the the way it goes. But um, those guys are still uh, still some of my some of my my best friends, and uh, everybody's still riding, which is really cool. Uh, but those performances were enough to uh, get me noticed by the national team and to go to uh, national team selection camp and spend about a year and a half, uh, basically my last year of high school, last half year of high school, and a uh, gap year. We didn't really call it a gap year back then. It was just essentially not going to school for school. a year. Uh, but um, yeah. Uh, so I was just sort of a knucklehead, uh, knucklehead, uh, amateur <laughs> near pro cyclist for, uh, for that one year on the U S cycling team, uh, bouncing around between the Olympic training centers and training camps, uh, and, and, uh, and racing with the national team and, uh, making, uh, just, uh, just enough money and, you know, borrowing beds and living in motels and whatnot for that, uh, for and a half, to, uh, to make, uh, make ends meet as uh as a cyclist full-time that that sounds like a dream sometimes it's one of those kind of you know you remember the back in the day you kind of just have to go way down low and make it work yeah exactly and it was huge (laughs) looking back uh you know if i hadn't if i hadn't had that um that experience of uh of a gap year isn't you know known now uh I, i would not have had the professional trajectory uh, that I, that I ended up having, and the sort of experience in college was totally different. You know, college for me was uh, then very a del- very deliberate choice, as opposed to just something I did after high school. Uh, so, um, mm-hmm. what uh, what really kind of brought about the uh, I guess the uh, uh, pretty pretty sharp cliff or uh, I guess brick wall I, I ran into uh, with the end of my my cycling career was um, it was really twofold. Um, it was uh, uh, first. Um, well, maybe threefold. Uh, first, I sort of recognized the limits of my talent, uh, and I saw I saw uh, I had the real privilege um, to spend my full time training and racing, and to recognize sort of um, what uh, what my capacity was, and really what um, what the end game was going to be for me as a 24, 25, 26 year old. Uh, I kind of recognized that my my best case scenario was to be. Um, Best case scenario, I didn't get to this point, but what I sort of projected was that I'd be a solid domestic pro or Connie, uh, Connie pro. Um, if I was really lucky, like a, a, a world tour, world tour domestique uh, level. And um, I was on my bike so much Oof. Uh, that that year, that year and a half, 
that it uh, it stopped being fun. Uh, yeah. It really just stopped being fun. Mm. And this is sort of one of those pitfall, pitfalls of junior sports. Um, and then uh, on top of that, I had a really bad, really bad crash in uh, April of uh, April of 1998. And that took me out of the game for a couple of weeks. But um, I uh, still I look back now and this seems kind of silly because I did have a home to go back to. I could have gone and lived with my parents. But from my perspective, I had to I had to make some money and uh, still had obligations. I felt I had sponsor obligations and an obligation to the national team. And, um, was on that path. So I got back on and started racing, racing right away. And, um, around that time, uh, it was, uh, it's, it's hard to know in retrospect, if this is just because I was, I was maturing and sort of my first, or if it's, um, if it's because I had, had, uh, fellow athletes, colleagues who were joining the professional ranks, but it became very apparent to me, uh, just how, uh, important doping was to success in cycling in that time uh, it's pretty it's pretty well known just uh, how um, the problems in cycling that uh, I think are largely mitigated today but the problems in the late 90s and early 2000s I think are, are pretty well known and uh, I felt I felt at the time that I was uh, somewhat somewhat blindsided by it uh, and I, I realized that um, there was a uh, 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 a likelihood that that would be the path uh, because that was just so prevalent in a sport. And um, I was really lucky that I had the alternative of, uh, of going to college and, and uh, sort of pursuing a more normal, a normal path at that point. A lot of my, um, a lot of my fellow athletes uh, who had gotten to that level of the sport uh, had dropped out of high school, gotten their GEDs, or essentially just stopped going to school at age 14 or 15 in order to <clears throat> pursue cycling full time. And, uh, they uh, they didn't have that opportunity, so I uh, I felt really lucky at the time that I sort of had this had this off ramp, uh, but it was a sort of confluence of those three things. Sort of recognizing my 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 uh, uh, the sort of limits of my own uh, sort of genetic capacity, if if you will, um, uh, doping, and then uh, really just uh, the crash and uh, the, the crash I had and spending a little bit of time in the hospital and. Um, really kind of having a uh, an accounting of what cycling meant to me at the time and what what the sacrifices were uh, in terms of uh, sticking with it or not and uh, i ultimately decided not to and i was really fortunate to have um, parents who supported that decision because uh, uh heaven knows they they got me to that point i mean there's um there, there's no way you get to um uh, real success in cycling without uh or really any uh, any any endurance sport as a junior uh, without parents who are willing to willing to invest in you, so uh, that's the that's the sort of transition to transition to college. But I remember um, I um, I DNF'd uh, Tour de Tuna. I don't know if that race is still around again, but it was a, a big uh, what would be a UCI categories race in uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, I DNF'd the big uh, sort of Queen stage uh, that day. I was just really sick, and and remember uh, my 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 buddy. Uh, who uh, DNF'd the race, maybe maybe 50k ahead of me. Went back to our hotel and picked up picked up the uh, picked up the truck and uh, came and found me on the side of the road. And we we both threw our bikes in the back of the uh, back of the truck and and um, drove directly to Colorado Springs from uh, from 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 Tour de Tuna in Pennsylvania. And that was uh, that was a sort of inglorious uh, end to uh, to my bike racing days. And I didn't I was not in another uh, legit. Like no kidding, standalone bike race until 2018. Really? Had, oh wow! Um, 
yeah, it was 20 years. It was 20 years between when I hung it up in 1998 until there was a whole bunch of ultra ultra running and uh, and and triathlon in between. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was it. I was I was pretty well done, and I didn't I didn't really didn't really look back. Uh, I was just uh, I mean I think um, I think I think burnout is really just a, just the word the word for it. But not a month later, I was at UC Davis. Uh, living in the dorms and and just doing the doing the college kid thing and uh, what, what a few did short you, years later found myself in the yeah go what, ahead what did you uh, major in in college uh i studied international relations oh, and okay. uh and russian uh so um yeah i i uh i i had a pretty good sense of what I, what I wanted to study. So during that year uh, I had between high school, high school and college, um, really kind of focused me on, on where I wanted to take my, myself, um, professionally. And, uh, and I knew that that first meant probably, probably the military. I had this lifelong dream of, uh, of being a fighter pilot, flying jets off boats, being a naval aviator that that went back to like third or fourth grade, probably, probably right around the time that, uh, that Top Gun came out, like probably every other. Uh, eight or nine year old boy who was around when that movie came out, and uh, I just, I just stubbornly never, never, never gave that up. And uh, international relations and, and diplomacy, foreign affairs is always something, and language has always been something that's been uh, very interesting to me. So, uh, international relations at UC Davis is what it was. Oh, so it's interesting how um, you transitioned from cycling to UC Davis. Like, what I'm curious about is what are like the top things you learned from cycling that helped you totally change gears to, you know, going to UC Davis and who was, two questions, and who was your number one, like, um, who was in your ear during that time? Because when we were in our 20s, like, you kind of don't know what you're doing. Like, I, I feel like, you know, that was such a big transition in your life from, you know, you mentioned friends that didn't have us, you know, going back to school and whatnot. And I think that was major, you know, in your life. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. So um, I still say today, after having been an active duty Marine for 10 years, after a couple of combat deployments that uh, I've never, never suffered like I've suffered on the bike. And I know that sounds silly comparing those two things, um, but uh, in terms of the human experience, and just raw uh, actual suffering. You start talking about fear and stress and everything else. That's a totally different, a totally different conversation that I think is more appropriate to the military experience. But when it comes to actual um, discomfort, uh, nothing I experienced in the Marine Corps or or outside of uh, outside of cycling uh, <clears throat> was anything like cycling. So uh, I think it gave me. Um, a huge amount of perspective and then also uh, just making ends, ends meet for that for that year uh, I think kind of finally taught me the, the sort of value of a, of a dollar and, and sort of how to how to balance a checkbook and and those sort of things so uh, I had a I had a real uh, focused sense of what I wanted out of school um, and then uh, when I was in school I think um, I was Frankly, I was really self self motivated. Like I, I knew exactly what I wanted what I wanted to do. Like there was, um, there was really no stopping me. I think maybe if I'd had uh, if if I had someone um, who uh, who sort of cautioned me against uh, you know a, a few of the, the pitfalls of joining the military, that that would have been helpful. Um, but ultimately, no one no one was no one was stopping me. I uh, 
I, uh, I ended up graduating in three years because I knew that uh, college degree was ultimately an end, um, you know, a sort of a means, a means to an end. And uh, I just, I just went, I just went after it. Uh, and, um, you know, if, um, if one of, uh, if one of our boys was, was in the same situation, sort of knowing, knowing what I know about military service now, uh, I would neither encourage or discourage it. Um, but I, I'd make sure that they went in with their, with their eyes wide, with their eyes wide open. So that's awesome. How old are your boys? Oh, sorry. They're 10 and six. That's cool. Are they doing any cycling like daddy or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm very, very sensitive to not, uh, put any kind of pressure on either of them. I mean, they're 10 and six for one. Um, but, uh, this last few months when we've been sort of cooped up and, and, um, you know, uh, on a very strict lockdown down in Serbia, specifically, um, in March and April, uh, my older son, uh, Jack got, uh, got on, got on his whiff with me because we have, we happen to have two, uh, two of these, uh, Wahoo kickers. And I've got my bike on one. <clears throat> we put his. We got the little adapter to put his uh, his mountain bike on the other one. <laughs> and I've uh, got the got the whole setup in the basement. And he's super super self motivated. I think he's like Zwift, Zwift level nine right now as a, as a ten year old. So uh, he's, uh, he's, wow. he's into it, which is which is which is really neat. So he does it when he wants to. And like if he sees when I'm I'm going down uh, going down to the basement to ride and he wants to tag along, and then he comes along. Uh, but I'm super sensitive to uh, to not putting any kind of pressure on him as a ten year old. If there's one. Uh, if there's one thing I've learned um, uh, about sort of extreme endeavors, if you will, is that they've got to be your own. Uh, sure. You know, uh, it, if it's gonna if it's gonna be fun, you gotta you gotta own it. You gotta own it for sure. And that speaks to I think I think also um, professionally as well. Uh, if you're putting yourself in a situation where it's uh, it's ever gonna be uncomfortable, um, that's gotta be um, it's gotta be your own choice. I, I actually like that idea so much because. People, a lot of people don't understand how many of us get into this endurance sports realm and why you, why you do it. Mm-hmm. And the longer you get into it, the more you realize that you're really not asking for any external validation anymore. It's really like a personal conquest yeah. over like whatever fear, whatever feeling of like failure you have, or you know, just trying to prove yourself that you can do it. And one of those for you is Western States 100. How do you get into cycling and then you became you went to university and became marine became fighter pilot how did the running fall in between well first yeah, what, explain what western states 100 because oh, yeah. i saw There's that a... and i was like what what does that even mean <laughs> i'm new to all endurance sports so i see you got a few medals back there so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the Western States 100 is, I think, uh, I think you could call it the the granddaddy of, uh, of endurance or ultra running in the United States, uh, or really even of ultra running uh, globally. Um, it uh, it is a hundred mile race, foot race that starts at Squaw Valley uh, at the base of Immigrant Pass, and goes over the top of Immigrant Pass, and ultimately ends in Auburn. It is. Um, Entirely trail. I think it's about twenty nine thousand feet of uh, maybe a little less than that total total climbing, um, and um, a bit more a bit more descending. So, uh, you know, you sort. I think people, if you think run a hundred miles, um, there's a few different ways to do that. There's events where uh, you have a hundred miles on the track, where they have twenty four hour track events, which is 
that's a whole other level. I, I've never had any desire to do to do anything like that. But um, yeah, the uh, the Western States, uh, the uh, sort of Grand, Grand Slam ultra running, I think is uh, Western States, Angeles Crest, uh, maybe Vermont and Leadville. Um, and then there's sort of like the Western Slam that includes Wasatch. But there's a few of these races that go uh, back to the back to the 1970s, and most of them started, uh, including Western States, started as horse races, as endurance horse races. Uh, Western states, uh, the legend is, and I, I think this is true, this is at least the Wikipedia version, where uh, the first person to complete it, um, they were actually a rider in the horse race, the Tebas Cup, and their horse went lame very, very early into the race. Uh, so uh, he decided to just run the foot race. And uh, the standard, I think, for Tebas was 100 miles one day. So sub 24 hours. Ooh. So that's that's kind of become the, the gold standard service sort of the way at least the amateur gold standard if you will similar i guess you could say to the four hour marathon mark uh the in the sort of popular parlance of kind of breaking that four hour mark 24 hours for for 100 miles and uh, that's uh that's the western states it's now uh, uh nearly impossible to get into the thing it's via lottery or qualification uh they have thousands of people apply to the lottery every single year and uh it is just a world-class event because uh you have uh, I think 350 total um, total uh, athletes who uh, have to meet a time standard and actually do community service to uh, to to receive their um, their spot either through qualification or or through the lottery. Um, but it is really the pinnacle event in the sport. Uh, I think um, it's like uh, it's like the Kona uh, uh, or um, it's kind of like the World Championships of ultra running. It's not actually the hardest uh the hardest one out there i mean you're really splitting hairs here because yeah. it's 100 miles through the mountains 100 you know it's summertime super super hot you know 40 to 40 degrees celsius 100 degrees fahrenheit down in the canyons hard hard race um, but it's not the hardest one uh, but nevertheless it is kind of like the worlds of of ultra running and um for me uh, i i was aware of this race because my high school chemistry teacher every friday he would wear his western states belt buckle he had ah. one of these 100 miles one day uh, belt buckles and uh i remember i was i was a uh, full-on cyclist at the time thinking like you're mad who who would ever why would you ever want to like how is it even humanly possible um, but uh yeah willis willis mccarthy uh I, I remember him well and before my first 100 uh first 100 miler period Western States wasn't my first because you have to qualify. Uh, I reached out to him and uh, still just a super enthusiastic, um, you know, uh, role model. And I remember having this in the back of my mind that it was humanly possible to run 100 miles. So um, the transition for me was uh, was really the Marine Corps. Uh, to, to be a Marine uh, is to be a runner. You, you don't have a choice. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> you literally don't have a choice professionally. Um, and uh and it was the first time in my life i'd ever i've ever run seriously is pre preparing for marine corps officer candidate school and then the physical fitness test and whatnot and and um going through that process really, really kind of reignited my love of training and process and uh once i started going down that road and um and had a little bit of uh space to have some personal time as i was finishing up flight school because flight school is just this completely all-encompassing uh, sort of experience where you don't really have much time for, for recreation. Uh, around that time, like 2004, um, the logical conclusion was, well, well I'm, I'm going to train for a marathon and see how fast I can race a marathon. 
Um, but my goal from the outset uh, was ultimately to someday run 100 miles uh, just because I, I knew it was out there. So I started reading like Jurex uh, uh, book and uh, Dean Carnassus yeah. at the time and, and all these folks who started to uh, be in the public sphere uh, with respect to running 100 miles and got super motivated. And uh, I remember just getting my, my butt handed to me um, uh, running a marathon um, you know, and, and, uh, and, and really just being that much more hungry to actually accomplish that goal. And it took me, um, took me, uh, one, a whole bunch, whole bunch of marathons, whole bunch of 50 milers. Uh, my first, first crack at a hundred miles was, uh, was a DNF at Tahoe Rim Trail. Mm. Uh, I was just woefully under, underprepared, uh, I think both emotionally and, uh, and physically, uh, I say emotionally because, uh, that, that hundred mile journey is just, um, it is like, um, it is just a very human experience, both from a, a human, uh, both from a physical standpoint, and then just the ups and downs, the, the emotions from sort of fear and apprehension at the beginning, uh, to, to really having to manage adversity somewhere in the middle. There's, there's no way you don't run into some adversity. I don't think there's anybody even at the very front of the field who doesn't, doesn't have a rough spot and rough spots or low spots in a hundred miler are usually really really low <laughs> and and then just the the elation yeah and then just the elation of uh getting to the finish and accomplishing accomplishing that goal that that was just a draw um and i, I just wasn't the first time I, I i tried it i just wasn't prepared uh it was uh tahoe rim trail was um 50 mile it was 25 miles out 25 miles back 25 miles out 25 miles back Oof. and there were basically two mountain passes that you had to go over each time so basically eight eight mountain passes oh, and uh i did the first 50 miles and i i so i came back in to start finish at the, at the 50 mile point and my 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 dad and my younger brother were there and they looked at me and and uh they just knew they're like you're, you're done like, get, get in the car this is ridiculous and i knew it i knew it too i mean it wasn't it, it was not at all it was not at all an argument it was just such one of these one of these very very obvious things like yeah you're not you're not bad enough you're not in any shape to go run out go out and run another 50 miles right now and at that point you know running is a very figurative term uh you know i i'd say uh uh you know um i just didn't uh i didn't appreciate that it isn't exactly like running 250s back to back it's uh it's something much harder than that it's the math mm-hmm. the math just doesn't work um mm-hmm. so um yeah that was my uh, sort of uh, biting up more than i could chew with uh, with ultra running and 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 western states Right. You seem to like. So yeah. how soon? Go 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 ahead, Michelle. No, I was just gonna say, how soon after did you attempt another hundred miler, or was it, you know, like a good amount of time to prepare for the next one? So yeah, that was in um, June, July of two thousand six, and then I went off on my first my first military deployment uh, in January two thousand seven. So I had this whole sort of time where I was preparing for that deployment. And um, and and ran quite a bit, but didn't do anything anything close to an ultra. Um, and then uh, came back from that deployment in December, or I'm sorry, September of 2007. So we were gone for about eight months. I was home for four months in San Diego, and then I went right back out on another deployment for six months, um, and then came back. Uh, and so I had this whole sort of two years where I was very focused professionally. Um, because I was just out of the, out of the country, um, doing my job. So, uh, this whole time I sort of had this rock in my shoe, if you will, of, 
really bothering me that my last race experience was this DNF at, at Tahoe Rim Trail. Uh, so the whole time that I was deployed and uh, for, for both deployments, really, I kind of uh, had, had all this time to sort of plan and think about what was next. And um, I uh, put a marker down for, uh, for uh, Vermont, <clears throat> the Vermont 100, uh, which is a uh, 100-miler, um, one of the original four, uh, big four 100-milers. And um, that was in uh, June, July. That was in June of... 2009 uh and uh went back there just really hungry and knowing what i was getting myself into and i also had the benefit to a certain extent that vermont wasn't at altitude so it wasn't yeah. uh it wasn't as challenging in some ways as uh as tahoe rim trail was um but it was still 100 miles nevertheless and it's something like 18,000 feet 18,000 feet of climbing and 100 percent 100 percent dirt so whether it was just dirt roads or double track, single track uh, through the forest. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful race. And that was, um, that was in, uh, yeah, 2009, uh, just before, uh, just before our, uh, our first son was born because uh, yeah, my wife was, I think four or five months pregnant at the time and crewing for me with my, with my younger brother. And uh, very, very memorable for all, for all of us. So there was a, a lot of pressure on to like finish as finish as fast as possible, because uh, neither of them had ever crewed a hundred mile hundred miler before. None of us knew like really what we were doing or what we were getting into. Oh, um, but that uh, that sort of launched me into into a couple of years of uh, running one hundreds. Yeah, that, that's a big. Oh God, yeah, that that's a big load right there, Carrie, pregnant wife. And then you got to prove yourself to <laughs> yeah. be able to finish this thing from, a, in a sense, sour experience from the oh, last time. I was time. finishing it. Yeah. 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 Right. She's a trooper. Right. I mean, that's hard to do. Oh, there's no. You know, funny, there's, funny enough, you mentioned that no, one. No, absolutely no question. When the no. when you know when, when you were trying to get into this Zoom room, I saw her name. I was like, oh my god, I guess we're gonna be talking to the wife about John's uh ordeal the past uh, 20 uh, years <laughs> <laughs> you know it would probably be a somewhat uh you know anybody who's been um both in a relationship uh long term and uh and has any sort of a dirt sports habit uh, i'd say if, if you if you talk to their significant other you're probably going to get a slightly different story about the, the whole experience so. i was going to say i was actually more curious of that like how does how does your wife you know, tell this story because she is a she's an author, right? So her point of view will probably mm, be is. a lot more different than yours, which is will be interesting. I kind of want to talk to her someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, it kind of uh, gets down to uh, figuring out how to make how to make all these moving uh, moving moving pieces work, uh, and how to have time for everything. And it's not uh, it's not an easy time management time management trick. Um, I'd say that uh, that triathlon, and I think that I know she'd agree that uh, triathlon is uh, is really the hardest, the hardest mm. time management um, to to be good at, to be good at triathlon, as opposed to being single sport, uh, single sport running or single sport cycling, um, uh, as opposed to triathlon. It's uh, it's just a different animal, uh, and uh, as you can you you can both well appreciate being being triathletes. It's just logistically so much more complicated on the one hand, and also um, you can simply train more. I mean, you can, especially if you, when you add in the pool, which is zero, zero impact. Um, it's, uh, you know, and especially when you, uh, get really deep into the sport and you start convincing yourself that it's recovery, then, uh, <laughs> oh, there's sort of, 
there's really there's no there's no limits how much you can train. Yeah, there's a concept like a recovery run, a recovery recovery ride, recovery swims. Like, how is exercising more becoming a recovery? Yeah. But whatever, you buy into this idea anyway. But you seem to oscillate right. between this like you know extremes of one end to the other, man. I mean, that's why I like John's my guy, how he's able to do this. But did you ever make it to, did you ever had a crack of getting to Boston Marathon, man, chance? Yeah, I ran Boston in 2006. Mm, okay. And that was sort of my, uh, my sort of uh, initial, initial sort of marathoning goal. Um, the first, um, the first time I, I ran a road marathon, I was pretty close to BQ, but, but still not, uh, still far enough off that I really had to work for it. So that was sort of my, my, my near term, near term goal. And, um, yeah, I ended up uh, going to Boston. I ran a PR at Boston. I mean, that's not the hardest thing to do because it is downhill, um, slightly. I mean, it's a net, net elevation, yeah. elevation loss. A lot of people have, uh, have fast times at Boston. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that was so much fun, so much fun, really um, really similar experience, I'd say, um, you know, comparable to, um, comparable to Kona or, uh, or Western States in a way where you, you have this, this group of people that's worked so hard to get there. And it's just this, uh, you know, sort of a celebration, um, just being at the race and yeah. being a competitor is a celebration in and of itself. And you're just, you know, you're with your tribe. I mean, everybody, everybody's there for I mean, not necessarily the same reasons, but you know, you're all of a more or less similar mindset. And there's a real sort of mutual respect of those those people, uh, those people who you're you're competing with. That's uh, that was a really awesome experience. Uh, I I would go back there for sure. It was so much fun. Yeah, I mean, I, Lance, have you been to Boston? Oh no, man. I I I, I got. I got heavy legs. I, I I don't have the leg speed to make it to Boston. I think. <laughs> I swear. Uh, heavy legs <laughs> i'm living vicariously through both of you guys oh my gosh i'm just i'm just trying to finish here at the end <laughs> you, you think about this way you know, you know what you know what though at the end go ahead no go, go, ahead, go ahead because i was i was just gonna say that the qualifying times for boston have significantly gone down that it's almost becoming near impossible yeah. to get into it unless you make it like a career <laughs> If you don't have, you know, like me, don't have really the natural talent of running quick. But again, you were saying. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you know, at, at the end of the day, if you're not if you're not competing for um, for your profession, if you're not a professional, uh, it, it really is is about uh, your own your own limits yeah. and uh, and achieving your achieving your own best and your own best on the day and uh, kind of continuing that journey and, and learning from your, you're learning from your mistakes and, and just uh, beating yesterday. I think some brand out there has a sort of tagline, but, but I think it's, uh, I think it's a real motivator for most of us because um, the majority, the vast majority of us are, are never going to win a race. That's not what it's about. Not funny you mentioned beating yesterday because I, as far as I remember it as of yesterday from here in the U S that, uh, brand's tagline is they they've been kind of offline i heard it's been like some technical oh. issues with getting hacked or something like that or who knows what. Oh. Uh. so i don't know john if you rode if you rode yesterday that that Maybe. thing might not appear in strava yet for a little bit and yeah. you know if it's not up there it never happened 
that's you know there's some there's something to be said for that uh you know it's a trap it's a bit of a trap um but uh i i also find uh i find there's so there's there's sort of downsides to the whole sort of strava community and how social socially networked uh sport has become to a certain extent you know it's it makes it a lot harder to just take the watch off and and just go for a run right and, yeah and, yeah not worry about how fast you're going or anything else. Um, it's it's harder to do that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it can be um, if you use it right, it can be awesome for consistency and, and sort of having a, a network of support. And you know, even when you're you're disconnected from people, um, still having still having uh, that that interaction that's really based on uh, activity. Um, the uh, uh, I, I'd say I. I'm I'm really not very active on on social media except for Strava because yeah. I I really like that it's built around something that's like actually uh, actually happened um, <laughs> and and so many of my friends uh, I mean uh, so many of my friends are are sort of endurance endurance sports types and, and that's sort of where we have so many of our conversations so um, there's downsides though I mean you know you can definitely uh, you definitely go too hard or get, get, uh, sort of, uh, overly obsessed with, uh, with beating tomorrow. Cause not every day is a day to go fast. Yeah. And, uh, that's easy to forget sometimes when, uh, when you're trying to kind of keep, keep up with the Joneses as it were in terms of, you know, segments and all that stuff that's part of the sport, but it's definitely not all of the sport. Yeah. Speaking of like Strava and segments and everything, you must have a lot of like cool, Strava maps being able to like live around the world. I mean, mm -hmm. How's that? Yeah, yeah, like? the heat map. Yeah, I uh, I have a personal rule, uh, and I, I think you probably follow something the same. Anytime I'm in a new city, uh, I will go for a run or a ride. Like, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter where I am. If it's only like a 20 minute ride out, run run around, run outside around like around the block, the hotel I'm staying in. And middle western siberia in january i'm gonna go for a run because i'm gonna lay down that heat map just to experience not not for strava's sake but really just as a, a way to a way to experience a place like you don't you don't i don't really feel like i know a place until i run in it mm, okay. um yeah every everywhere i've been uh and this is going back to like 2000 2007 i remember on my my first deployment i started sort of instituting instituting this rule like uh Dubai, Hong Kong, Singapore, all of our, all of our port calls. Uh, and then, um, you know, on the ground, Kabul, go for a run, uh, cutter, you know, all these different places. And, uh, you really get to really get to know a place. Uh, it's, uh, you get some strange looks at times because you end up running in places that aren't typically considered runnable, yeah, no way but, like, uh, go but it's certainly an adventure. <laughs> Man, that is, that, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That, that's very cool. I mean, what, what's been your like favorite like haunts or runs locally wherever you've been that, that sticks out to you you know i have uh that's a really so in terms of a favorite run uh that that is a really easy uh, question to answer uh there's uh, uh this trail network uh in between half Moon bay so if you draw a straight line in between sort of standard yeah. palo alto and uh, uh, half Moon bay uh california there's this whole protected uh, redwood forest um, called Prisma Creek, and um, there uh, there are these fire trails that go from uh, from Higgins Canyon up to uh, up to Skyline Boulevard, and uh, that's where I grew up, riding mountain bikes with my friends, and, and just the, the the sort of um, 
the feel of the place, the smell of the place, uh, the sort of remoteness, just these giant old redwoods. Uh, it is just mm -hmm. a special, special place. And uh, mm -hmm. there's sort of endless trails out there. And that's that's sort of my, my go-to when I'm home is uh, is getting out there on, on those trails and uh, or, or taking a bike out on them. But really the way to do it is uh, is to run it's, it's so beautiful out there oh, that sounds amazing <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, i, totally I kind of wanted to circle back oh yeah i, I was gonna say i took it for granted how lucky to... i was to grow, grow up where i was oh mm -hmm. have you visited recently go ahead uh not uh not in a year uh this is about the longest uh i'm coming up on the record longest amount of time i've spent out, outside the united states and that's that's obviously not planned and uh definitely one of the one of the downsides of what, what we're all dealing with but um i think uh, i think one way or the other uh, i'll make it back in the next in the next couple of months um but uh yeah it's been it's been kind of a downer because uh, obviously our, our families are back there and uh, it's one of the one of the harder parts of of this lifestyle but uh, we'll make it back so what i was saying was i kind of wanted to circle back to the western states 100 um yeah yeah please. I'm probably never going to do it and i'm probably never going to come across someone that has done it and i'm so curious like take us to that day take us to like just everything you you mentioned mentally physically everything and i want to know about that finish line too <laughs> yeah yeah so uh the uh one of the one of the things that that drew me to and and frankly still draws me to ultra running and it's one, one certainty i have is that i'll go back back to it is that uh, over the course of the day if you look at 100 miles in 24 hours first being the being being the goal for a lot of people it's just to finish which is an accomplishment in and of itself just covering covering that distance uh, most of the races have like a 30 or 33 hour cut off depending on, on how tough they are but um, the draw for me is that um, you know standing on that starting line that, that you're going to have those lows and you're going to have have those highs and you don't know what what's what the adventure is going to hold um, you know for uh, for almost everyone the very front of the field will finish in daylight and most of these races are in summertime for, for obvious reasons uh, not all of them, um, but most of them. But for uh, for almost everyone, you start in the dark and um, you finish in the dark. And then uh, some races are so hard that they have this uh, sort of um, you get an extra award if you finish before the second sunrise because so much of the of the people, so many of the people running, actually see a second sunrise when they're out there wow. uh, because it takes more than 24 hours. Uh, so um, that day, uh, June 25th. 2011 um i was in the running shape of my life uh, it was one of those days where uh the training the training's all gone right um uninjured uh, and ready to just ready to just tack tackle the day uh, but there's really no amount of like, proper or enough uh when it comes to physical preparation for that kind of race you know it's going to be you know it's going to be a challenge i, I had a really an awesome first 35, 40 miles and then had a really hard time in the canyons that I just had to sort of sort of dig myself out of. Um, the uh, There's a really long climb up to what they call double, devil's, uh, devil's thumbs. It is probably an hour long switchback climb and just this zero in baking um, canyon. And, and I feel like it's nine, 10, 15% 
um, switchbacks all the way to the top and you're just wow. you're just baking back there and uh, you have whatever water you can carry on you at the time but I remember being uh, totally dehydrated totally depleted uh, getting to the top um, plopping down into a chair at the aid station uh, and having a having one of those like uh, otter pop popsicles that uh, that you get at Costco and uh, <laughs> just the sugar in that ice was just rejuvenating uh, just enough to get to I think that's right around um, it's somewhere in the mid 40s uh, 45 miles or so and that was sort of enough to get me into Michigan Bluff which is in the early early 50s uh, and again just having a really really low spot uh, coming into coming into Michigan Bluff just the, the heat of the day uh, I wouldn't call it bonked uh, so much as um, just pain all over uh, sort of uh, ultra running experience where all you can do is just um, you know, uh, continue with the relentless forward progress. I think that's uh, the name of of, uh, of Jurek's book about ultra running is relentless forward progress, kind of being the key to finishing these things. Um, you pick up your pacer in Forest Hill at, uh, at the 60 mile mark or so, and you're allowed to have a pacer. Um, so essentially just someone who's not allowed, they're not allowed to push you. They're not allowed to physically push you. They're not allowed to uh, carry any food or water for you. They're basically just there for emotional support and to pace you. Uh, and really kind of get you through the adversity of those last 40 miles. So um, I had my pacer Mike with me uh, from uh, from mile 60 to 80, and then uh, my buddy Nathan from uh, from 80 to uh, 80 to 100. Uh, those those moments with those guys uh, were just this sort of uh, not to be cheesy, but just just this sort of magical rejuvenation where like energy came back, the weather was beautiful, and just having them by my side. Uh, and knowing I was going to finish and kind of having the energy come back was really just um, you know, sort of a memory memory for a lifetime and, and definitely definitely Aww. the sort of really really memorable spots for for us in our in our friendship so uh, that um, the transition in mile 80 is actually a river crossing which is this really iconic part of western states it's called uh, Rucky Chucky you cross the uh, cross the American River and depending on uh, the snow melt on any given year it's either by raft uh, or um, by uh, the sort of uh, tow line that they have um, um, uh, stretched across the uh, stretched across the river, and um, unfortunately for my year, I was hoping we'd be able to uh, actually walk across because that's really yeah. a cool way to do it is when you actually have to physically get yourself across the river just holding on to a holding on to a rope. Uh, but they wrapped it just across and um, picked up my um, uh, my pacer Nathan on the other side and. Uh, had uh just uh you know as the sun was going down i was just getting faster and faster to the point where uh i felt i felt like i'd been running five miles not like i had been running 95 miles uh, coming across what they call wow. no hands bridge uh there are all these sort of um there's so many different parts of this course that are just iconic and i mean the ultra running community is super small so to the point that anything could be you know iconic when you're talking about a community in the united states it's maybe a couple thousand people uh, these spots are, are famous at least for us uh, between devil's thumb uh, michigan bluff forest hill rucky chucky and then um no hands bridge uh, from no hands bridge it's like a three mile climb uh, straight up to the to the finish and there's this little plateau for about a mile uh, and uh, I got to the top of the plateau and my wife my wife met me there to run me in from, from basically the last last mile and a half a uh, mile and a half, two miles, and uh, that was that was just amazing. Where I mean, I mm-hmm. I knew I had I I I um, achieved my goal. Sort of my my um, 
my primary goal was to finish in under 20 hours. I really wanted to finish in under 20 hours. Uh, and I knew I was going to finish right around 19 hours and 30 minutes. And then sort of my, my absolute, like, I don't know, bad day goal was to still buckle quote unquote buckle, right. Uh, to finish in under 24 hours to get my, my, uh, my, my big, uh, gold and silver, uh, belt buckle, the same one that my high school chemistry teacher wear every Friday. Um, and then, uh, you finish the race, um, you finish the race, uh, on the Auburn high school, uh, uh, track. You do one lap of the track when you come onto it. So you finish, you finish wow. in the actual track finish line. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, uh, I think, uh, I think Linus can appreciate this. Um, finishing an ultra, uh, is similar to finishing an Ironman where in some ways, uh, you're actually more comfortable moving than, not and after you stop that's like when it when you get really uncomfortable and you you cool down and you realize just what what kind of effort you put you put through your body um at uh the the next uh the recovery from 100 from a 100 is unlike unlike anything else i've ever done i mean uh an iron man is an ultra event in terms of the the total time component, um, but in terms of the actual amount of abuse sure. and impact that you do to your body, running a mountain trail, the mountain trail 100 is uh, is a, a different animal. And then I see I see folks who um, who run bad water, bad water or multi day ultra uh, ultra stage races where they do this sort of day in day out, uh, or uh, they now have um, quite a few people who race. Uh, 200 miles, 200 mile Oof. mountain ultras. Uh, so, oh my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, so there's, there's, there's Moab, there's one in Moab that I know about and there's one in uh, Lake Tahoe. Um, and, uh, and that's, uh, that seems like a whole, whole, that's almost like extended endurance camping because you have to, you have to sleep. <laughs> right. I, I mean, there's just, it's a, it's a, if you actually have to stop to sleep, then that that kind of turns it into a different different event. See, that that uh, entire thing is like almost a foreign concept to me. Like I don't even know how you how, how people are able to make it. What did I say? It's so hard to keep up with a guy who used to regularly break the speed of sound for a living. Keep an ear out for the next half of this podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Active Endeavors podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to check out our website at activeendeavors.com. And please don't forget to rate us and hit that subscribe button. See you real soon.